This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in to another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. This, the Tuesday, May 18th edition. And it's always a good time of year. Not good weather where we are at where I am in Baton Rouge it is a flooding going around the city here a little soggy not no flooding in my neighborhood but feel bad for the neighbors there I I welcome in my partner Neil McCready May's always uh always thought May was a great time of year because it was I don't know Mother's Day it was weather's usually nice um still before the heat in the south and graduation time's always neat. I remember my graduation time, and of course, Neil's got uh, dealt with some graduation this past weekend, so congratulations to the graduates. And always thought it was a great time, a time of transition from junior high to high school. I've got a grandniece that, um, uh, that, uh, that uh, is doing that, and then the one's going from high school to college. Neil, how was graduation in the McCready household this past weekend? Well, graduation is Friday. Uh, they had some. Oh, they had okay. the thing at the church, and then you know, Caroline has been uh, our middle child who graduates on Friday has been uh, incredibly active in dance since as long as I can remember. I mean, back when we lived in Spanish Fort, when she was, we've been here thirteen years, and she was in dance before we got to Oxford. Um, her final recital was was uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, the Ford Center at on the Ole Miss campus, so it was, um, it was kind of bittersweet and kind of to it. It was it was kind of it was kind of hard to imagine um, her life without dance in it. Um, she's the student body president at Oxford High School, so she's got a, a speech to deliver on Friday. So uh, the, the whole the graduation portion of it is um, is not. I don't know, it's because she's not our first, and I guess she's not our last. She, um, I don't think we're all super emotional about her graduating high school. I mean, we've known she would graduate high school, and frankly, this she basically graduated in December. She had one class this past semester, so it's been there's been you know, and she it it, it hasn't been like you know a, a wild rush to the graduation finish line. She was way ahead. Um, but it's different, yeah, for sure. You know, and then Carson, our our youngest, is um, finishing up middle school this week. He goes to high school next week, and so he's in the middle of Oxford High School soccer tryouts right now, which is nerve wracking as hell. If we're just being completely honest, and um, yeah, just uh, you're right about the transition. I don't know who the transition's harder on, the kids or the parents. I, I think it's I think it's a little harder on the parents because the kids get to do it. But um, 
yeah, it's a it's a different time. It'll certainly be a different time in our household in, in August because Caroline's going off to college and um and Carson will be in high school and it'll just be the three of us here instead of it being the five of us here like it you know is right now because Campbell's home from college for another few weeks and everybody's home. It's it's kind of weird when when no one no one's here. But um I suspect four years from now, God willing, I'm still around and, and um let's hope if, so. I suspect when Carson's getting ready to leave and it's the, the true empty nest thing, it's going to be like, wow, this is, this is totally, this is different, but I don't know. I'm not, I, I rambled through that, that answer. It's been, it's been on my mind a lot. Uh, today, it's, today we're more focused on the soccer tryout than we are the, the <laughs> than we are the graduation. I'm sure Friday, the, the, the watching her give her speech and stuff like that will be uh I'm sure that will be kind of emotional. So, yeah. Well, for for many of you out there, I know a lot of you may have a son or daughter that's graduating this weekend or last weekend or wherever the dates are. Uh, congratulations to them and congratulations to you because it is uh, as a parent, uh, I know what uh, what sacrifices and it makes so it's a it's a congratulations time and if it's a if it's a well, sad, a melancholy time. We we certainly thinking of you this time of year. If it's a great time, and man, I can't wait to get them out of the house, then congratulations. <laughs> Whatever the case may be for you out there, and it's probably a little bit of both, all of the above. And congratulations. A reminder, and we certainly, and we've got Blake and Sammy and Michael and Jeff have already chimed in. Good morning, gentlemen and ladies out there. We encourage the ladies to check in too. Uh, you can join us in the chat room, and uh, certainly if you're watching this live on Twitch TV, on YouTube, Facebook, um, click the little heart button if you're watching us on Twitch and follow us there. Subscribe to our channel. Great way of supporting what we do. And uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, uh, it's it's free in there. If you want to become involved, it's great. We got a number of things. We're, we're going to start. We're in that period where. There's not a lot of, there. I think there is a lot of news going on, but it's not a lot of earth-shattering news, and don't know how much of it is overly interesting to you, but for those of you that really get into the minutia, we'll talk about some of it, but over at LandryFootball.com, we always get into the minutia, we get into everything that's going on, so many camps in the NFL, who's doing what, how they're lining up, folks, we're going to talk a little bit about Najee Harris and Kadarius Toney a little bit. Uh, and I've got that in my notebook, how they're being utilized. But cut some notes from Jacksonville on how they're using Travis Atien, the Dolphins offense, a little bit of, of the changes and how that's looking, Carson Wentz and how he's looking in Indianapolis. Um, got a really impressive receiver that spurring the SEC that's at Maryland that jumps off on tape, spring practice tape I've been looking for. Arizona State has another good, good young quarterback behind Jaden Samuel. So we get into the entire uh, college football, the entire NFL scene. So check it all out at LandryFootball.com. Uh, but, Neil, I did want to uh, talk a little bit, and I don't know where to start, but I will start on something that we talked about that I mentioned um, Friday, that Saturday was going to be an announcement. There was going to be a announcement by Katron Evans, the defensive tackle, 6'4", 320, that um, was down to – to Florida, Arizona State, and Jackson State. Now, he had, he had committed to Tennessee, and then basically he's backed out of that so this past year. Uh, and I said, I, I, I get he's a 
Jackson State's in his final three, but I would fall off my chair if he ended up going to Jackson State. I had to, I had a little back injury because I did fall out of my chair because he absolutely selected Jackson State on Saturday. So interesting move there. Uh, the young man is is a big load. Um, Got to find a little bit more of the backstory from my Florida folks, the, the Florida staff and Arizona State staff. But I, I, I do believe that they were interested, made an offer. So good kid. Dion has had, um, you know, about four of those guys that were former four-star guys. And in the transfer world, and this is kind of a transfer, Neil. It's not an official transfer, but it kind of is. I think you're going to see Dion invoke a lot of you know, pressure to get those guys in, and he's created a, let's just call it a social media, uh, a, his own, you know, with Barstool Sports and his contract, he's making more money from Barstool than he is from Jackson State. He's, he's selling that end of it. So I'm curious to see where it goes with them. But Katron Evans, Jackson State, throwback from the old days when they were getting good players. There. Yeah, it's it's a little bit interesting. The, the Deion Sanders experiment, we don't know yet because of COVID. They played in the spring and not the fall. We don't know what it looks like in a traditional setting. Um, he is selling his celebrity. He is selling the barstool thing, the exposure that he gets as a part of that celebrity to to kids. Uh, there's kind of a movement among African-American kids to go to historically black colleges and universities right now. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see... And obviously, living in this state, I'm interested to see how he's able to recruit high school kids. And it's kind of a little bit of a perfect storm of an opportunity for him because uh, two things are happening. Lane Kiffin's at Ole Miss, and Lane Kiffin's trying to recruit regionally and nationally. He's not locked in on Mississippi kids. Mike Leach is at Mississippi State, and he's recruiting a certain type of kid, certainly on one side of the ball, and is not allowing himself to be you know, defined by, by geographic bounds. Um, now, Will Hall at Southern Miss is going to recruit the state really hard. Will Hall is going to have a lot of success recruiting Mississippi. But there's going to be players, uh, in, especially in that Jackson metropolitan area, which is the biggest part of Mississippi, there are going to be players that are, are going to be left over and available for, for, um, for Dion. And then I think Dion's going to be a guy, Chris, who's going to have a lot of success in the transfer portal. Because I think that's going to be a lot of his, hey, it didn't work out for you at Big School X. Come here for uh, your second shot. I've got all these NFL contacts. You get the exposure, et cetera, et cetera. I think he's got a chance. Just it's uh, his his path to making them more than what they've ever been before is, is a, in my opinion, it's a pretty narrow road. But when you get players like this, it shows you that you sort of have a clue as to what you're doing. Well, and, and of course – Dion is all about Dion. So Dion is is absolutely trying to parlay this into something bigger and better and somewhere else. Um, whether, you know, how effective he can be at doing that is a big part of it, getting good players. He understands that. I know that he tried to, um, how do I put it, he tried to promote himself or sell himself as a candidate for the Florida State job when he hired Mike Novell, and it was never no. it was never true, but he, but he tried to sell that and his buddy that the NFL Network, you know, kind of made it seem like it was real and it was was a joke. And I think he kind of got a feeling that you're, you know, one's taking you seriously. So I think he feels like he's got a, you know, and he's got the Jackson State job. If he's able to do a good job, then, you know, it'll be interesting to see. 
who might be interested at a at a uh, you know at a, at a higher level uh, in, and you know maybe it's in an FCS level you know I, I don't know we'll we'll see we'll see how this plays out long way to go without watching a little bit and yeah I have watched them a little bit they're they've been okay they haven't I mean I think they've been more of a more of a show you know than what I would call a fundamentally good team. I mean, I, yeah. I've seen them play a few games, and I, you know, they're not all that impressive or organized. I, I don't know that uh, outside of being, you know, a recruiter, I, I don't know that the, there's much there. But we'll see, and, and certainly wish them well. And I know someone asked, does does his going about uh, going to Jackson State more about him as a player not being good enough? Well, I mean, Florida and Arizona State were interested. Uh, and again, I'll find out if maybe there was something down the end or something character grade wise. But there, I mean, Tennessee. You know, a, a lot of people recruited him, so I would say that no, he was a kid that was a, he was graded highly, um, and again, could be misgraded. But if he was misgraded, he was misgraded by some, you know, the Floridas and the Arizona States and ten Tennessees of the world too. So we'll see how that plays out. A um, couple of notes there, you know the. Troy Punter, Jack Martin, who's transferred to Alabama, he's got a really explosive leg. I know that's a that's a, not a position that people get overly excited about. Boy, that that is such a huge position. Uh, good get for them. I was curious to see where he might end up. Standing state makes a lot of sense there. Uh, but um, that's that's, a, that's an area that that Saban has has gotten where he's they're very strong. Alabama's maybe been the best punting team in the league the last several years gotten better at kicking there was time when you know kicking was the the, the Achilles heel for Nick Saban he, he seems to have uh solved a lot of that yeah and you know what the thing the whole time that they struggled with kickers you know the the, the part was they didn't offer scholarships for a long time to a kicker and then they did and then that didn't work and and so I do think perfect perfect way to go about it you, you know if you're having a hard time evaluating kickers because those guys are like golfers you know they just hit streaks where you just can't figure it out sometimes it's better maybe to let those guys go um and and let them develop and and i think that may be the future for kickers at, at alabama you know, kickers and punters just go ahead and just get a trend for a guy a guy that's done it and this guy his hang time was deep into the four six four seven fives that in an average at 46 yards a punt you know, 66 yards, can place it. So we'll see, you know, the pressure of the moment. Um, he's really, really an explosive leg. So uh, good get for them. Uh, just, you know, I'm working on, I've got to get Kentucky, Ole Miss, and South Carolina reports up on LandryFootball.com, some of the spring notes. I'm working my way through it. I'm, I'm not, you know, those are the SEC schools that uh, I've got to get up. I have working obviously across the entire country doing all of them, but, but a couple of things that jumped out at me at Missouri. The the Mookie Cooper kid, the redshirt freshman, is going to be something to watch this year. Um, you know, with Basilak back, that kid, the Cooper kid, is really explosive. He's 5'10-ish, about 190, 195, and he is really explosive. I put a note in the uh, the notebook about him. He's a kid that was at Ohio State behind all those good ones. He's a St. Louis kid. So something to keep an eye out for this year. And then good news for them on the recruiting trail uh, over the weekend, getting the four-star defensive lineman Marquise Gracial, 
uh, good gift for them. So I'm curious to see, as I look at the East, and know that, that Vanderbilt, bad. Tennessee's bad in rebuilding. South Carolina's bad. You've got three really bad programs. Um, you're starting to look and say, uh, Missouri just, if anything, looks like, you know, plugged into the fourth spot. You know, I don't know that's where they're finished this year, but that's kind of where I see them, at least right now, that with Kentucky with being have a little bit more stability, uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what Eli and this, this offense, as he gets more playmakers like this Cooper kid, um, this really helps them and gives them some playmaking ability. What do you think he wants that offense to look like when he gets his players? I mean, obviously, uh, obviously what they did last year was just kind of they used what they had, but what, what do you what do you think they'll – when he gets his guys, what does he want it to look like? Play a lot of up-tempo, um, a lot of RPO stuff, uh, a lot of quick game, a lot of get the running game going with tempo, keep you off balance there. That's, that's what he wants to do. I think he wants to – he sees that as we can get some playmakers here. We may not be able to recruit at the elite level, but we've got to recruit some defensive linemen. We've got to recruit some big guys, of course, but we're going to try to beat you with some tempo and kind of kind of hurt you offensively. Um, so that's, what, that's kind of what I, what I see. I mean, I, I think in terms of a model, if I were going to look schematically of some of what they would like to do, I'm going to make a comparison would probably be Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss, they got to get better defensive players. Missouri's got, got to de- get better defensive players. But the, they're going, their calling card's going to be their offense. Let's talk Missouri's schedule real quick. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Mm-hmm. They they uh, they open with Central Michigan at home on September the 4th. It should be a, it should be a win, I would think. Um, they go to Kentucky, a big game right off the bat, to Kentucky on September the 11th. They get Southeast Missouri State at home on September the 18th. They go to Boston College on the 25th. Then in October, they open October with Tennessee at home, North Texas at home, or they get uh, Texas A&M to finish a three-game homestand. That game is October the 16th. Then they get an open date at Vanderbilt, uh, at Georgia in, to open November, South Carolina at home, Florida at home, at Arkansas. All right, so I'm going to give you – I always do, like, ceiling and floor. Tell me whether, tell me whether I'm crazy. Uh, yeah, I, know, I, I need to kind of hear them again because I tried – I didn't write them down, but I'll go I'll – go, let's go ahead and I'll see. Central Michigan at home, that's a win. At Kentucky, winnable, it's a toss. Southeast Missouri at home is a win. So that's, that's two wins and a toss. At Boston College, I know nothing about Boston College. You'll have to fill me in there. I think I think they've got a good a good shot there, but BC's that's not easy. That's okay. a that's a good one. A L- little more diff, little less, a um, little less. Uh, I would put Kentucky as a little bit tougher game, and, but uh, you know, I think that's winnable. Okay, Tennessee at home, I think very winnable for Missouri mm-hmm. on October the second. Uh, North Texas at home on November the, on October the ninth. That's very winnable for Missouri. So at this point, let's just split Kentucky and Boston College here. At this point, you're five and one out of the gate. One, two, three, four and one. Four and one. One, two, three, four, five. Yep. No, the, five and one. You're five and one out of the gate. Mm-hmm. If you, if five you, and one. That's that's good scheduling. That's that's okay. that's due to the schedule. <laughs> then you get uh you get Texas AM at home. That's a loss. Five and two. You get a weekend off to kind of heal your wounds a little bit. Then you go to Vanderbilt October the 30th, a very winnable game for Missouri. 
In fact, I'll call it a win. You you can tell me I'm an idiot in a minute. At six and two, they go to Georgia to open the month of November. It's probably a loss. Six and three, South Carolina at home, very winnable game. Seven and three, Florida at home, probably a loss. Seven and four, and then they play uh, Arkansas the day after Thanksgiving in Fayetteville. Uh, certainly a very winnable game at the end of the season. I mean, it, it's it's not out of the realm that Missouri's an eight and four football team. Yeah, you know, um, if you look at it, let's uh, say Arkansas, BC, swing games, you know, and, and that's a, assuming you don't slip up against Tennessee or South Carolina. Yeah, that could be eight, seven, certainly possible. I don't see the four losses are pretty solid to me. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty decent win if they're able to beat Kentucky and there'll be circumstances that happen to, to cause that. But yeah, no, the, the, the difference there right there, and it, it just goes to college football, you can go back over the years. It's recruiting and scheduling. <laughs> you went over South Carolina's schedule last week. And, I mean, you know, now I, I don't think South Carolina's – I think Missouri's a little bit better. But South Carolina talent-wise not really good. But if you take South Carolina and you give them this schedule, you know, you could you could see some wins. Trying to find four wins, five wins for South Carolina and get that schedule is – I mean, it could be pretty good and, and only get four or five wins. So you're right. I think that um, – this is certainly bowl eligibility is what you want. And this is what you have to do. You have to build a program. You have to schedule it. You have to get some wins that are pretty easy. And and don't 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 screw up a a, a central um, central Michigan, you said, or central Missouri. I'm sorry, the first one. Central, central Michigan. Central Michigan is, you know, don't play around with that because that 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 could surprise you. They're good enough to surprise you. But that that that's gotta be a win. No, I I I think that's a good schedule to try to get um, to get things going. To get and and I do think that there's enough there to to uh, to get to make some strides. And it helps when again you got Vandy, Tennessee, South Carolina. You got Tennessee, South Carolina in a rebuild, and Vandy's just bad. Yeah, I pulled up South Carolina's schedule again because I was curious. It's, mm. it's Eastern Illinois at home uh, at East Carolina. Just can be a squirrely game. East Carolina can be decent mm-hmm. uh, at Georgia, which is an L. Kentucky at home, a tough game for Carolina. I think that's, that's a loss. They get Troy at home, mm. and frankly, that's that's that, a you, that, you know you don't want to play East Carolina and Troy. I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna give them a win and hope. Yeah, uh, at Tennessee, yeah, that's when Tennessee will circle. Uh, Vanderbilt's at home, that's a win. At Texas A&M, brutal. Florida at home, brutal. At Missouri, home versus Auburn, home versus Clemson. Holy, that that thing could go south. Well, it will. And, again, don't tell me, you know, uh, Missouri. Okay. So, you know, say, well, Auburn. No, no, they're not beating Auburn. Particularly after coming off of A&M, Florida. No. No way in hell. And then Missouri, no. No, they're going to – I'm, I'm, I'm that last stretch you had, it, there's not a winnable game there. If I think after Vandy, that's it. Yeah, I mean, Vandy, so again, they close with wow. It's five straight weeks, no break. Mm-hmm. This is their, this is their close at Texas A&M. I, I, I stand corrected. They're off the weekend of Halloween at Texas A&M. Open date, home versus Florida, at Missouri, home versus Auburn. Home versus Clemson. Yeah. So you, you're talking about 
you, you're not in terms of a roster, and that's all I can go on right now. I can't tell you what's going to happen in a mid-October game when I don't know who's healthy and a lot of circumstances. That, but that that's four wins, best. I mean, they're having to pull up a big ups. Well, you know, look, they so if they beat Tennessee, that that could be five. That would have to happen. Got to beat Vandy. Got to beat Eastern Illinois. And yep. then East Carolina, Troy, you got to avoid an upset there. And I'm not sure that they're going 2-0 in those games. They have to go 4-0 against those two, East yep. Illinois, Vandy, and then and then maybe beat a Tennessee because they get them before the gauntlet. And that's about it because they're going to end up losing yeah, five-ish in a row. They have one path to 6-6. Six and, six and six. One path, one path only, and is this. Eastern Carolina, East Carolina – I'm sorry, Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Kentucky, Troy, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. That's their path to six and six. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, I mean they're, I they're, not, they're not beating Georgia, and then down the stretch, they're not beating A&M, Florida, Missouri, Auburn, or Clemson. No, I mean, I, so, just, I don't see six. I just don't see six at all. So if you do stealings, if you do stealings and floors, when your ceiling is six and six, oof. I think the ceiling is – is five. I don't think I don't think there's six wins. I mean, I don't know. I, I think six win is busting the ceiling. I think it's just busting the ceiling. I think it's that it's that China orbiting thing just hitting your your, your ceiling and busting it wide open. I don't see it. I, I hope for them that they are, but I, I think this is gonna be tough. And yet God bless them. You hear people ask us, can you win eight? It's like, do people even watch football? I mean, people, I mean, some of the things that they talk about, about coaches or teams or players, it's like, God, you know them. You can tell them, man. So, but I think the East is, look, we can talk about it. The league being so big, you can sometimes say that the league's pretty strong. They got this, 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 this. The league's pretty weak. They got this is they got they got so many teams. You can sit there and say the weak the the, the East is very weak. I mean, you you've got and it's why Kentucky, it's because Kentucky's had stability and done a good job. Who they're competing against? South Carolina's through hard times, and that roster is bad looking. Vanderbilt's bad. Tennessee's rebuilding. You know, cause they that that's another. One. We'll get into them and look at the. But they're probably sitting there saying, you know, what's Josh Heupel going to do? And we're going to have this offense, and we're going to score 45 points and beat more people. Than they, they, everybody's just kind of selling. But, you know, you got Vanderbilt, you got Tennessee, you've got South Carolina um, that are really, uh, you know, struggling. And that, that, that helps, makes Missouri, a, you know, a contender of, of, in the top four, you know, almost by default. I mean, if, if they – if they don't finish in the top four, then shame on them. You know, I mean, they, they, they've got a chance to finish fourth just by doing a, a pretty good job and just by comparison, better team and an easier schedule. Those are two examples right there of, of why things are what they are. And let me just say this. I know this is this is not the way the fan looks at it. I don't look at how good a team is based on the record. I look at how good they are, and I have to look at the schedule and who they play. It's a big part of it because you can have – give you an example of a program that did a good job of building out of nothing. 
and these programs certainly have more gone for it than Kansas State. But when Bill Snyder got there, he decided, look, I'm I, I'm going to he Eastern Illinois is I mean Central, I mean he had everybody in every direction of Illinois, and, and he built a program that way, and he got to bowl games, and he was able to sell that enough to where it became better and better and better. But you know, you've you've got to schedule um, and see, you know where you are and build upon that because to me you can be pretty good and and you know you might be a team that that wins four games and you might be a better team than a team that wins seven yeah it just depends on who you are and and you know who the who the teams you beat so that you know, that, that uh, that's how it uh, plays out it's going to be real interesting um a couple of notes from the nfl neil okay. that relates to some college players talking to Steeler friends and and looking at um, and I knew it would be this way. And it, there's a player that just you take a hand and glove fit, Najee Harris, in the Steelers because all the the inside zone, the outside zone, the one back, you know, power, all like the Alabama stuff. That that's what the Steelers run. So when I asked, I said, "How do things go?" He says. He was just smiling ear to ear because all the stuff that he's running with us is all the stuff that he runs. I mean, the terminology, everything. So things are off to a really good start uh, with him, and I would expect him to have an impact. That the offensive line has to to play better, but that's a really good fit. Also interesting. I love, I love Najee Harris. Just as an aside, I yeah. To me, he's he's a special back. I mean, he he got overshadowed last year by the receivers and at times by his quarterback, and they were very good at, at, uh, at offensive line, but Najee Harris was a monster, man. Well, people was asking me prior to the draft, you know, how is Kadarius Tony going to be utilized? And we've talked about, you know, it depends on where he goes, but I think a lot of people will will have a different little role for him. But he is working. He worked certainly in their mini camp this past weekend, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, out of the slot a lot, and I think that's where they're going to probably use it. They've got a lot of weapons there, so it's a uh, lot of receiving weapons, a lot of tight end, you know, H back, F back, you know. Um, so they got a lot of got a different looking type of guys. But Kadarius is working and doing really early, doing a lot of slot. I, I thought what's interesting too, as an aside to that, see where J- where Urban Meyer is uh, is working Travis Atien. He has lined up at receiver all the snaps in minicamp thus far. Now, I know part of that is let's work him there. Let's kind of see how he does there. But they are thinking a lot of third down back receiver type. So a lot of what you do is you work outside of receiver. And, and I've done that before where you, you get guys really understanding the coverages a little bit better from that spot. You work it. And now you you can, you know, they'll work them a lot out of the backfield, but he's done that a lot. So let's line him up wide and do things that he hasn't done and get him acclimated to that. So those are just some notes. Got tons more that I know we will let you go to LandryFootball.com because it may not be in the, in your interest level of the schools and whatnot. But uh, just to always like to, to track how people in the, the limited time we can work them how they're how they're using guys and how they see their roles um, are in, in the early stages of minicamp. Those are two SEC guys that I think are going to have an impact um, in both of their teams this year. Were you interested to hear that uh, Urban Meyer 
said that the guy that kind of got away from them was Kadarius Tony. He was the guy that they had targeted there, and then he he, he was he was gone in in the pick that they ultimately used to take Etienne. Yeah, that's why they're that's why they're using ATN that way. They see ATN as, you know, we want to do the Kadarius Tony things we would have done with Kadarius. Yeah, I I knew he's for all the connections and all the reasons. That's what Urban likes. Urban likes those guys that can I mean a lot of guys like versatility, but he has used those guys, you know, whether it's um Jordan Reed in the H back stuff or he's used you know, Percy Harvin, who's more of the running back receiver. He likes the hybrid guys a lot because what he can do is he can put them formationally in different spots near the line of scrimmage, and he can kind of create some matchups and get some, some still some defensive run looks and be able to attack that with speed. He, you know, he's still a big believer in the run game and the pass game off of it, and, uh, it's, it, and so I that's the whole reason why he liked ATN. He thinks he can do the things that Kadarius can, prob- probably not quite as well, but he sees that, or at least that's what he saw in what he's anticipating, but he wants to see a little bit more how much of that he can do with them versus how much we're going to have to leave him out of the backfield and use him as a pass receiver there. So, um, If you're them, how do you – how do you handle Trevor Lawrence early in his career? Do you, you know, you, you've seen quarterbacks that become Super Bowl quarterbacks, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning come to mind, guys that they just threw him into the fire and said, good luck. And you've seen some guys where they, they kind of try to bring them along. Lawrence, obviously, right. huge skill set, very smart kid, a lot of charisma, all of those things, a lot of leadership. What do you, what do, you do with him starting out? Well, first of all, what they're doing in minicamp, no, that's not your question, is he's coming off the shoulder and so they're kind of giving they got him on a pitch count, even though he's not the not the shoulder, but um on working that because you still move it and all that. Uh, as he gets going, I they're going to work him. I think they're gonna work him as they can physically and they, as they can go full bore with him. I think the way you have to do it in my mind is you have to happen organically. In other words, that people will say, um, yeah, the plan is we're going to start the other guy for three games and then game four he comes in. It, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you can have an idea of we'd like to sit there and say, um, we need to get a guy ready. And what does getting him ready mean? There's a three-step process in the classroom. you got to know – not only the offense know all the responsibilities, but you got to have a awareness from a coverage standpoint, from a front standpoint, set protections. You have to know it. Okay, so in the classroom is learning it. You got to know it. Okay, because you know it, can you utilize it? You might know stuff, but can you can you now use it? So then you've got to take it to the practice field. So do you take what you know? And then can you execute it in the practice field consistently enough and against certain looks? Do you have the recognition? And, and all those things, then when you do that, then you can go into the game. Because if you do it before then, here's what happens. Everything you teach goes to hell in a handbasket. Because what happens in the heat of the moment of the game, you revert back to whatever you do. It's just, you know, you, you don't know it, you're not comfortable, so you just react. And if you're going to teach it properly, 
what you want to do is go through a sequential process to where when the pressure comes they're reacting and knowing what to do and how and when to do it I use a golf analogy if you if you want to try to change something in your swing it's best not to do it while you're in a round go to the range and learn how to do it the right way and get enough reps on the range to where you're doing it the right way otherwise you're just gonna repeat bad habits and then the more bad habits you repeat and the throwing motion and recognition and, and all the then you got to break those habits to begin learn new ones and it's 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 a two-tone process sometimes it's better to have guys that know less but have an ability to learn so that you teach them from scratch so how long does that take well it depends depends on the guy I mean it he, you know it might be week one it might be week three it might be, you know don't know um, they've got someone they can play maybe not gonna make a difference but somebody that can line up, has got some experience that can play there. Um, but I don't know that it makes a whole lot of difference if it's week one, week five. I know fans that might want to go and buy tickets. Well, I want to see if Look, you got to do what you want to do. I know that, for example, when we had Steve McNair, uh, one of the things we did, we had a veteran quarterback. We weren't going to start Steve, but that's different because Steve was really not ready. I think Trevor is more ready so he could play sooner. Um, but in the latter part of the season, when, well, in this case, by the time they get knocked out of the playoff race, which they will in Jacksonville, then by that time, there will be enough work and enough practices for him to get it. That's the other thing. You know, people will say things like, well, you got to get him. Well, th there's a limit of what you can do in these offseason works right now. So it really takes you in season practices to it takes about four to five weeks of the regular season before you get enough practices that would equate to the old days in camp so this is why you know you you gotta you know things will change with players in any position but certainly at the quarterback position so I don't have a a time frame um and I think it just depends on how quickly they are. Or they may say, look, we'll have a reduced package and we'll work with them there, which is fine. But then with a reduced package, you limit what he can do and you limit the adjustments. And then people say, oh, man, he really struggled. He took a sack that, well, they, they didn't have all of it in. You know, so they're limiting what they're asking him to do. So therefore, the more you limit, the easier you are to defend. So there's, there's a pro and a con to that. But I look, I have no doubt this guy has all the tangibles and intangibles to be really good and the key is going to be whether urban can build a culture and build a roster that can that facilitate you know what this guy can be because we've seen it before with teams have good quarterbacks be ruined and i think that is as much to do with um the success of a player as the talent and the intangibles of the player himself yeah i agree i'm I think Jacksonville's one of the real interesting stories in the league, in a league full of interesting stories. Jacksonville's way up there because this is, this is a leap for Urban Meyer to the NFL from from the Fox Studios. I mean, you know, it's a. I know he had real success at at Utah and Florida and Ohio State. Was great at, uh, as a TV guy, but jumping into the NFL and today's NFL, the way that the NFL is 
as specialized as it appears to be is is going to be it's going to be a challenge for Urban Meyer. I'm I'm, I'm really interested in it. And then I don't know what it is about Lawrence because he's a great quarterback. If you if you told me I could bet on any of them having like major success, I I don't know that he would be the one that I would immediately bet on. I just I don't know. I there's some, well there's, they're they're between they're quarterbacks with better situations. Yeah, for that's sure. Probably, probably where you're going with it, you know. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It just I don't know. I I, I don't get the warm fuzzies about Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, and maybe I'm completely off base, and it won't be the first time, and it probably won't be the last time but um i don't know i can't i can't put my finger on it chris i, I still get a i don't get a great feeling about it yeah no and it's, it, it the, is. And it's not the tebow thing like i got a lot of people making a big deal out of the tebow thing i'm like yeah whatever i mean he's coming into if, if if he does make their team he's making their team as a backup tight end slash h back whatever that's fine who i mean I know he's a big name and a personality and all that stuff, but the Tebow thing to me is not that big of a deal. And if, if you told me that the Tebow thing is just to take a little bit of the early media heat off of Lawrence, I'd buy it. But it's just something about Urban Meyer in Jacksonville that makes me go, I don't know. Well, I think the, the Tebow situation has been asked a bunch of me, and I, I, I don't, I'll address it here because I don't think I've, I've actually addressed this, but – I did do a podcast last week, uh, the Landry Football Podcast, on it. And, well, it's one of the topics I went into. And so the the whole process started with Tim wanting another chance. Here's the thing that I haven't heard really many people bring out. But Tim is three games away from being fully vested in the NFL pension. Meaning you're fully vested if you're – on the active roster, or you're on IR or PUP for three games in a year. That's a that's a vested season. So he's got one more season of that. Now we're not talking about millions of dollars or anything once you get that, but but it is something, and it is an addition to whatever it is somebody like him is going to make. And there's a lot of other benefits, medical and otherwise, that come along with it. So it is important. I think that he has embraced the idea that I'll do whatever. I will play tight end. I believe in it and all that. And he's got the one guy that believes in him uh, where others around the league will not. He's not getting this opportunity if it's not Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, if it's somebody else in Jacksonville. It's pure and simple. It's pretty obvious with that. Uh, Landry is not saying that Urban signed him so he can and we'll, we'll, we'll put him on the roster so that he can get his NFL pension. I'm not saying that can't can't happen that way can't you know flop around and be you know awful and and make the team but if he doesn't fall flat on his face i do think you know if he does make it that's something that's going to benefit him i think it's also something that the owner is bought into because he is such a he is such a guy that's popular i mean when when sure. politicians come to him and want him to speak because they know that he can bring in a whole, I think he believes that maybe in some way, shape, or form that that Tim could be a part of, well, he's part of the Jacksonville community, but maybe part of the Jacksonville organization, even in an ambassadorial role, that's a part of it. And he hasn't made the team, and I don't feel that, um, again, he's going to have to do enough to make it, but if he makes it, is it going to have the impact, big impact? No. But if it's 
if he can be a third tight end and contribute on special teams and not, you know, it's something, and it may be at this stage an indication of where Jacksonville's roster is. So they're not really good, whereas maybe two years from now, if you you try this, it just wouldn't work because there's not even a chance. So I think all of that's in play. What is amazing, though, is the – you've got – and again, I don't mean to be rude. It, it, so you got the fans that are want some that just think he's the greatest thing and he brings all these intangibles and he's going to lift up an organization. And then you got the others that think he's trash. It's just like amazing how polarizing the opposite and neither one are right. He's, well, he's the reality is he's just, you know, hey, he's given a free shot. He's given a. That's the way it happens in a lot of cases in this league. And I don't know that uh, it's not the way I think people perceive it to be. He's not going to have an impact. He's not the worst thing ever. I mean, it's just one of those situations where um, it just kind of comes out the way it is. And I think it's going to play itself out. Well, the media likes to compare him to Kaepernick. You know, he hey, he's getting this opportunity that Kaepernick's not getting and and that kind of thing, and it, it, it's 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 great fodder for you know talk radio and the the TV talking head shows and stuff. At the end of the day, look, I'm not even it's even about case. Not to me that that the comparison is not apt. It's a completely different deal. Tim Tebow makes no sense on any roster outside of Jacksonville, but in Jacksonville this year, as you try to kind of rebuild and etc., Tebow makes a little bit of sense. I mean, you. You know, like you said, he can't flop around and be awful. But if he can play a little bit of a role, Tim Tebow sells tickets. Tim Tebow sells jerseys. Tim Tebow puts himself in a position where, let's say he just survived one season in Jacksonville, where, like you said, he could take an ambassadorial role moving forward in a at a franchise that has not been embraced locally going into this, before this. I mean, this is the first time that really that entire city is, since they were since their heyday, this is the first time that they've kind of bought in. I mean, there was a period there where they couldn't sell tickets. They couldn't fill it up. They were blacked out in the local market because they sold so few tickets, et cetera. Tim Tebow is, is as big a name in Jacksonville, Florida football as there is. And so putting him in a Jag uniform for a season or a part of a season, if you can pull it off, it makes sense at the box office. What it does, it brings closure for Tim. And I think Tim understands, I think Urban understands that too. So, you know, by that is, you know, he's done his baseball thing. He tried the quarterback thing, and this is, this is, this is it. And it brings some closure. And, and let me just say this for, for people who may not be aware of. Um, this goes on a little bit more. This is just a, a much more of a bigger name guy. But I have, in the past, remember, when you got 90-man rosters, it's different than 53. In order to sign, for example, there's a kid I signed out of Penn State, a running back named Mike Archer, years ago. He's an undrafted free that I liked a lot. I wanted to sign him. And to be honest with you, the sweetener of the deal is I signed a defensive back on the team that I didn't want to sign. I, he wasn't going to embarrass us in camp, but I knew the guy had no real chance of making it, whereas I thought Mike did. I signed the defensive back to get Mike to come. Same agent, you know. It happens, okay, so that, that happens. And in, in, in order, uh, you see it in recruiting. Sometimes you may offer the family member or teammate of a guy, you know, and, and it may have been where it just happens. 
Um, I also, a couple of times, worked out players that um, that I knew they were done. But, but they, in their minds, they weren't done. And a few of them were, a couple of them were players I coached at LSU and a couple of them were other players that I think people around them said, would you work him out? And I knew what they meant is he needed to hear that it's time to move on. And so worked him out. And it was only one of those cases where I signed him. The other is it's, you know, you go to lunch and you have a talk with them and, and you, and you basically around about ways it's time to move on to your life's work. They need to hear it and they need to have closure. And, and sometimes if you, if you have enough background with the player or the agent or whatever, you can bring that closure to the player. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that goes on that people don't understand behind the scenes because they're, they're not involved in it. They just see this guy's getting a free ride and uh, well, yeah, there are other guys that maybe deserve chances too, but those other guys don't have the background with Urban that this guy does. And so, yeah. therefore, there is a pull there. There is a a, um, a bond there that means a little bit more. Um, I mean, you wouldn't get Urban to admit all of this. I think Urban would be very surprised if, if, if Tim has a, a big impact on this team. But the, the upside, okay, what if he does? He makes a team. He's a little bit better than you hope, whatever. Uh, he gets his pension. He's that opportunity. If he doesn't, then he doesn't. Um, but there's closure there, and for them, you just can't do that. In the times that I did it, nobody really understood what we were doing because it wasn't Tim Tebow. When you do it when you're Tim Tebow, and you do it in today's society, in today's world of social media, you better be prepared for the publicity you're going to get from it, positive or negative, you know, but it is it is amazing now because it's, it's now become a racial issue. It's become a uh, religious issue. I mean, it is, it is it is like it is taking on a life of its own. And I think it's the combination of the time of year. People looking for things to talk about. I guess I guess the whole Aaron Rodgers being traded today is you know is off the table for you know kind of they're a little bit tired of that. So this is but this is a this is a story that's going on and on and on. And hopefully, look, I mean, there's nothing I can do to advance it. That's what it is. He's not any better or any worse based upon whether you like him or don't like him. He is what he is, and that's that. Podcast is brought to you by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly through the thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores. Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with fast and uh, easy buying experience from services to products blue sky plans to keep things fresh they always provide the freshest flavors of the brand name products and the best services available they even bring in some of the newest products in the market to the stores to provide an even better customer experience a smile can say it all and blue sky wants to show their customers that they care about them and their shopping experience they'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that so check out blue sky today at any one of their 48 store locations across the southeast and we're brought to you by Alpha Specialties, located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi. Alpha is your trailer-specific professional. If you want to haul it, they can call it. Alpha's the premium trailer dealership in Mississippi. They've got load trails, the premium brand trailer, the highest quality utility, equipment, dump, and gooseneck trailers being built today. Fully primed and powder-coated, load trail trailers come with an industry-leading three-year warranty and two years of roadside assistance. Alpha Specialties also has Hallmark cargo trailers, 
It's one of the most quality cargo trailers on the market today. Perfect for hauling goods to markets and shows, ATVs to deer camps, hauling race cars, and much more. Alpha can even work with third parties to have game day trailers and concession trailers built just to your specifications. And for podcast listeners, Alpha has spare tires and wheels starting at just $100, a full selection of trailer parts and accessories, hitches, winches, straps, and more. They also do all types of truck accessories, and listeners can get a 10% discount off of a yearly trailer service and inspection at Alpha's full-service shop, one where they can repair all types of trailers, concession, horse, utility, enclosed, gooseneck, RV, and more. So give them a call at 601-932-9798 or check them out at alphaofms.com. couple of notes in the chat room. Uh, I'm going to ask you this one, and while you're thinking about it, uh, I'll answer another one. So Blake asks, which team uh, do you think will get the most dump- dumpster fire memes this year? And I'm so that's SEC teams. So which which team do you mean? Why do you think about that? Sammy asks, has Missouri ever been a national presence in any sport? Basketball a while back, I think. Basketball under Norm Stewart was really good. There were a couple of teams that were favorite, like Final Four type teams in the Big 8, Big 12 days. Never quite got there, but they were really good. Look, in football, uh, again, it was, this is the, again, if, it, if you hit it right at the right time. Remember, they have been to two SEC championship games in Ernie Gary Pinkle. Uh, that that's when you know you know you got Florida, just you know messing around win, Georgia. They were one win over Auburn from playing for the national title. That's that's correct. Yeah, so they were they were they really struggled. Uh, I mean, the, the the conference really struggled, and Missouri had a path, and they took advantage of it. You know, so yeah, as I say, well, if Florida Georgia not doing their job, somebody's got to win it, and you know Tennessee wasn't doing a very good job. Somebody's got to win it, so they got there as a result of. The East being weak at the top, and they're doing a nice job. But Gary did a good job. Let me remind you, too, that prior to them coming into the SEC, that Missouri had a team, Missouri and Kansas, yes, Missouri and Kansas, played a top-five game in the Big 12. The year that LSU won the national title under Les Miles when... West Virginia, Rich Rodriguez's team lost to Pitt in the last game, and and and, and LSU got in and beat Ohio State. That Missouri Kansas game that was the, the one of the biggest games of the year. And then you go back. Dan Devine was a coach at Missouri. Uh, it's really good. Don Farrell was a great coach. Yeah, they they have been really good, but not. You know, you can make the case they're not the real fit. In the in the SEC, geographically they're not, they're there because of the you know the the TV market. We know all that, um, but it, it's a program that can be what Kentucky is. It's I think South Carolina has more resources and more of a fan base, but they're kind of lumped in with those. That's kind of what they are. So that's kind of the thoughts there. But uh, team that would have. <laughs> The most dumpster fire means in the SEC this year. What would that be? Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw in, I think people are going to really start to hammer South Carolina because the record's going to be bad. People are just going to look at the record and they're going to say, well, you know, but but you start losing to all those games, to all those good teams, I don't know how many people are going to sit there and have sympathy for it. I think they'll get one. I think Vandy will get some. Um, I mean, the obvious candidate is, is Tennessee. 
Tennessee's got a chance to be, I think, a disaster. I'm pulling up their schedule as we speak. Tennessee football schedule 2021. Oh, they gave me the ball. They, I need to do the balls. They gave me the uh, Tennessee Titans. If Tennessee, if the balls open up with the Falcons, they're in trouble. I'm just telling you. Um, let's see. Tennessee opens up on Thursday, September the 2nd with Bowling Green. Nine days later, they get Pitt at home. Then they get Tennessee Tech at home. Then they open SEC play September the 25th at Florida. They go at Missouri a week later. South Carolina at home on October the 9th. Ole Miss at home on the 16th. At Alabama on the 23rd. That typically doesn't go well. Uh, At Kentucky two weeks later after an open date. Tennessee's off on um, Halloween weekend as well. They get Georgia on November the 13th. South Alabama on November the 20th. And then Vanderbilt to finish the season at home on November the 27th. Let's go real quickly again. Just quickly again. Bowling Green at home. Okay. Pittsburgh at home. Mm. Yeah, it's a, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one, yeah. Go ahead. Tennessee Tech at home. At Florida. At Missouri. Home versus South Carolina. Home versus Ole Miss. At Alabama. Open date. At Kentucky. Home versus Georgia. Home versus South Alabama, and wrap it up at home against Vanderbilt. Well, that schedule is pretty favorable. Yeah, it um, is. So you got five wins there. If you can beat, and I'm going to put Tennessee Tech. Make sure I don't. I know it's not Texas Tech. Um, so Pitt is, you know, Pitt is a a swing game for them that they must win to kind of get bowl eligible. And then, you know, can they pull an upset over one of the following? Missouri, Ole Miss, Kentucky. Because they're not beating Florida, Alabama, or Georgia. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think six is the ceiling. I mean, I guess if you pull the upset over Missouri, that's not that big. I think, I think I, seven, seven would, could be the ceiling. So, I'll yeah, give them a little bit of an edge there. I think Missouri, Ole Miss, and Kentucky are all measurably better than Tennessee this year. Yeah, but it's it's a better chance of pulling upset than beating Florida or Georgia or Alabama. And then here's my other candidate. I don't like their schedule. Here's my other candidate for a disaster. Mississippi State. They open with Louisiana Tech at home. A week later, they get North Carolina State at home. They go to Memphis on September the 18th. Then they get a stretch of three games in a row, home against LSU, at Texas A&M, weekend off, and they'll need it. And then they get home versus Alabama October the 16th. Down the stretch, they get Vanderbilt at home. I'm sorry, at Vanderbilt. At Vanderbilt. Home versus Kentucky October the 30th. At Arkansas November the 6th. At Auburn, November the 13th, Tennessee State at home, and then uh, Ole Miss on Thanksgiving night in Starkville. I'm not crazy about that schedule, Chris. It could go 
That thing could go south in a hurry before you even play an SEC game. And then, look, when you have a stretch of three SEC games to open the slate and the most winnable one is LSU, that's not, that's not the recipe for, for success out of the gate. And, and of the three, LSU at Texas A&M and Alabama, and this is no knock on the LSU Tigers, but that's the most winnable game of those three for, for Mississippi State. If you lose to LSU and then you, which is very possible, and then you lose at A and M and you get beat uh, at home against Alabama, you're you're zero and three out of the gate. You go to Vanderbilt, get a W, gonna lick your wounds a little bit, but then you get Kentucky at home. That's a toss up. They got to go to Fayetteville and it's in November. And by the time you get to Fayetteville in November, things get weird. You got to go to Auburn. That's a loss, and you get Ole Miss at home in, in the rivalry game. Uh, the path to two and six in the SEC is right there in front of you. They'll be a little better this year. They'll be a little better this year. Um, I don't know how much. I think Louisiana Tech is a challenging game early, and Mike's teams have sometimes struggled out of the gate. That's a dangerous game. And in NC, NC State's week two as well, so that's two games that, you know, be careful. They get by those. You know, Memphis, Vandy, Tennessee State, that's your five right there, that you get five. I do think Auburn and Arkansas are winnable games for them. Um, and I, and Ole Miss know, is winnable because at the end, yeah, it, that game's a weird and, game. But yeah, And, and they could, they, they're the type that could win that game. And – Depending on the health and the where they are, you know, playing Kentucky later, you know, that's they, they're good for an upset. They will probably beat one of the teams that you don't think they can beat. And I don't mean Alabama or A and M, but you know what? It, it 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 could be they could pull an upset, and, but then lose a game that they've got no business losing. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, there there's going to start to be a little bit of a reckoning there to where the people that are still buying into that. That you know that that Mike Leach is gonna you know that that are better thinking that this this guy is gonna win big now that he's out of it. He, it's just not going to work here as well as it did as the other two, because the path is that much more difficult. I, I think getting to a bowl game again, yes. I think you know uh, it's gonna be awfully tough consistently to win. Now they'll pull an upset, you know. And last year is week one against LSU, and everybody yeah. was just crazy. Then, then they'll come back to earth. So that's just kind of how it is. So, a couple of little things here. Somebody's asking about is South Carolina job a dead end job? I don't. I think South Carolina is a really good job. I think the expectation level of well, when are we going to win the East? When are we going to go to the? When are we win the SEC? That's unrealistic. But I think you can win there. I think it's a really good job because I think. While they they would like to go there, the expectations are not the same as they're at Tennessee or Florida at Georgia. You can do a good job there, do well, win. You just can't collapse there. And there's enough where you where you you've got more resources than just you know than than the second tier schools in the East. So you should have a, a chance to be pretty good there. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see uh, how this will this will play out, but. All right, well, we will uh, we'll wrap it there. We'll be back with you guys on Friday for another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. Thanks to Blake and Georgia Rebel and Grind and um, Absolutely. everybody in the, in the thread today. Appreciate all the, the uh, interaction with us. 
As always, hope you guys have a great uh, rest of your week, and we'll see you on Friday morning. For Chris, I'm Neil. Take care. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.